Today's program has been brought to you by Calavita. Think outside the bottle with Calavita, America's trusted family brand, makers of extra virgin olive oil and fine Italian food products. Calavita.com. Today's program has been brought to you by Wines of Bordeaux. Visit their website at Bordeaux.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Um, we're here at Roberta's where I just watched a young lady who draped her jacket behind her chair and when she put it on it was soaked because the roof leaks. (laughs) So she was, she was, (laughs) she's squeezing water, a lot of water out of the back of her coat. Luckily it looks like one of those vintage jackets and it's not her brand new, um, Luro Piano Cashmere or we'd all be in trouble. Anyway, um, food talk today. Got two great guests. We're going to go straight into it. Um, my second guest who you should definitely hang on for is Risto Zazovsky. He is the beverage director for Alta Morea Group, um, meaning he's a really badass Sam whose purview is a whole bunch of great restaurants. Most of them in New York City, but not all of them. Um, he goes back and forth, I know, to D.C. and they're... Anyway, we're going to talk to him about a bunch of things, including something he's working on now is like a little side thing called the Greenwich Project that's this super wine-centric event that's taking space like a pop-up. I think that's the term everyone uses these days. It's so popular. So stay tuned for that. We're going to talk wine for at least 40 minutes, 45 minutes with Risto. It's fascinating. He's a great guy. I love to pick his brand. I love to have Psalms in here and get like great, you know, sagastic advice and opinions from people that know what they're talking about. Oh, and he brought some juice to taste, which makes me really happy. But my first guest... Really one of New York's great chefs. He's been around for a long time. Um, I'd say he's under the radar, but he's not. He, he's, you'll see him on like Good Morning Fox and Good Morning America. He gets lots of press. I see him on Facebook like doing all these television appearances. I'm like, dude, you, who's your PR people? I mean, God, give him extra money. Um, but besides being a badass chef of an amazing restaurant that's going into its – how many years on the Upper West? 15, 20? 11. Thank you, though. You're, you're aging me, buddy. What's no, up? no. 50, uh, so it, it, it's one of the absolute it, – it's a, a pillar of the Upper West Side's culinary scene. It's a great restaurant on a brownstone, mid-block. Just, it has been so solid. I kind of forget how good it is to like, like look at pictures of stuff that we film there and see the place that he does. It's just a really, really great restaurant. Seasonally driven like everybody is these days, but Bill's been on that bandwagon forever. And Bill Telepan goes back to – a long time ago. I mean, I, I think I first heard of him or met him when he was the guy who was Alfred Portali's. I'm going to say he was the chef de cuisine. I don't know what his title was. But he was the guy that was so solid in the kitchen of Gotham Bar and Grill that Alfred, with Bill in his kitchen, was able to do something he's been doing ever since, which is unheard of for chefs. And that's like take off early and not work Friday and Saturday nights. Thanks to Bill to Alfred. Thanks to Bill Telepan. Okay, he's the guy that got you that gig. Um, but aside from all that stuff that he does, all the culinary excellence in New York City, his restaurant, which is fantastic. I don't know how. And you're going to answer this question for me. You've really gotten involved in this idea 
Or you have children, which could explain it. But you've really gotten involved in this idea of great. What's the name? Like wellness, and what's what's the term? Wellness in the schools. Wellness in the schools. I was right. I was going to say that, but it just didn't seem culinary enough. You've been involved in this since when, and why did you get involved in the beginning? I got involved in 2008 at first, and um, and I guess I, the reason why I got involved is because my daughter was in a um, was in a public school, and I met these uh, women. One of which was Nancy Easton, who's the founder of Wellness in the Schools, and now the executive director. And she um, she and a bunch of moms were handing out sandwiches that they were going to feature in the cafeteria, and they were absolutely delicious. It was during a parent teacher conference I went there, and I came back and I said, "How can I help?" Because I figured. You know, anything involved with food and kids, I wanted to really, you know, be a part of. And so um, from that point on, I went and uh, and I checked out what was going on in the cafeteria. And then we ended up, I was thinking, like, all right, I can cook. So let me go in there, see how I can help in the cafeteria. And then we we developed these three cafe days, we called them, where I went in and I cooked and featured uh, dishes. You know, we did a salad bar, we did the sandwiches they did one day, and then we did, you know, a vegetarian chili that I um, I, I, I made, and and we featured them at this at this school, and they were a success. And we continued on in the two other schools they were involved in at that time. Um, so, but why I got involved with it is as you know, I got to learn. I mean, besides, I felt like you know there could have been some work done in the cafeteria. I know how hard it is to feed a million kids, which New York City does every day, Correct. for a dollar. Biggest right? school, so I biggest, that part. biggest school program in the country. Yeah, it's it's lo- second largest feeding person, producer, whatever, to the military. Yeah. But the reason also is 75% of the kids in New York City um, live at or below the poverty line. So yep. this is the only chance they get for, for most of them, a hot meal during the day. So wellness in the schools, you know, now we're this national nonprofit. You know, fast forward to today, we're in 75 schools in New York City feeding 34,000 kids a day. So we're impacting these kids every day um, with, you know, these healthy scratch-cooked meals. And we also have another um, part of the program, which is called, uh, you know, where we do fitness. So we, we create these active recesses. So the idea is that, you know, we, rec- we recreate the school lunch experience by giving them a healthy lunch, active recess. They go into the second half of the day, alert, you know, ready to go learn, ask questions. It's, you know, it's great. I want to be a part of it. You know, I need a healthy lunch and an active recess. <laughs> and to your point, I mean, and, and maybe to put a finer point on it, to what you just said, it's true. So New York has this monumentally large school system. As you said, over a million kids get fed a day. And a vast majority of them, this may be the best and only hot meal they're going to get all day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot of them come, you know, some are foster kids, some are single parents who work in two jobs. Um, you know, they're just in tough situations, and they're kids. You know, they didn't ask for it. So there's no reason why us as a country <laughs> should take care of these our children, you know. And, and there's a lot of people who say things that are not, I don't even want to say about, you know, you know what entitled entitlements you know, are out there. But I think, you know, we're talking about kids here, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they didn't, you know, they didn't grow, they didn't ask to be in this situation. So, um, and, and they, you know, to get a chance to, you know, and we're talking about our inner future innovators, our future productive workers here. And, you know, we want them to learn as much as they can and grow so we as a nation can be, you know, 
you know, uh, ahead of every, you know, just, you know, I'm, I'm losing my words here. I'm getting emotional. But, you know, you want, you want, we want the best innovators and we want thinkers in our, in our nation and, and to do good, you know? Yeah. And it's fun. You know, I, I've taught, have friends that are teachers and you know, kids come to school hungry and tired. It's really, it's a hard way to learn because your brain's just not working. Right. I mean, I, certain- I always ask people, think about when you're hungry right. and what Correct. do you like? Correct. You know, imagine being a kid going into a school and having, Having to learn in that situation right. and, 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 you know, be alert and, 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 you know, write something or do math. I mean, forget it. I'm, a, I'm an animal. <laughs> I, can't, I still can't do math. It doesn't matter how much I eat. Um, <clears throat> and I've seen you over the, over the years I've known you. You've also you've traveled around the country with this idea. I know, I, I know I've seen you in other states kind of advocating for this. Can you talk about that a bit? Do you still do any of that? Well, yeah. I mean, we recently, uh, uh, with the Chefs Action Network, which is a, uh, a group uh, formed by Tom Caligio, we um, and we went down to D.C. and we lobbied Congress for. Uh, there was forty. You actually um, spoke. You, you spoke before Congress. Forty chefs. You, uh, state, sorry, what? You spoke before Congress. You were like on the floor of yeah, Congress. Yeah, we would go and lot. No, no, we would go and lobby with well, the senators. Gotcha. And talk about the Children Nutrition Act, which is being reauthorized right now to get you know to you know the their standards now where um, you have um, uh, kids uh, uh, you know a fruit and vegetable that kids are getting fruits and vegetable every day, and we need to and and people want to change that. They want to go go back. To the standards of old, where they allowed vending machines, uh, the kids, you know, they didn't have to have whole wheat pot grains or anything like that. But it's there's a huge success here, and so um, uh, that that's happening right now with this, these these changes that happened in 2010. So we want to keep these standards and, in fact, improve upon them. So that's what we were going. We went down there to. Um, uh, lobby about. Can I tell you something? Dirty little secret. So these these son of uh, of of these not nice people that want to go back to the way it was. So one of the, one of the hats I wore and one of the careers I had, like in between whatever I'm doing now and what I what I did before, was I was an agent selling importers commodities. It's good business. You make a living. You know, you're talking about like hundreds and hundreds of containers of stuff a year. And one of the biggest sets of businesses was things like the Texas prison system, the New York school system, the California school system. If, you, if you're going to go after bid business, it's, 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 it's an annual contract business. So you, ha- you have to sell the prisons for one year at a fixed price of um, all sorts of items. And I will tell you that the New York, and this is true for all the school systems, and it's, and it's called a reverse auction bid. You, you, you phones go live at 10 o'clock and it's over by 1130. And the, the lowest price wins the bid. And if I t- can tell, I can tell you this factually, that back in those days, the prisoners in New York State ate better than the kids did. <laughs> I can tell you, because I can tell you who got, I knew when we won the bids, and I know when other people won the bids, and I can tell you about the kind of shit that they were selling in those schools, and it was just, it was literally, literally criminal. Um, well, and a guy that was a guy. That's when I guess I was in dude, school. Dude, there was, there was a vendor age. in New York, who I won't mention his name, who actually went to jail, but uh, for briefly, but it was a you know, white-collar guy that actually had to do time. Um, it was it was disgraceful. It was just like, are you kidding? There are no, we're talking about feeding kids, and we're going to do this by reverse auction, lowest bid wins? Really? It's insane. Yeah. And that's a fact. Um, so tell there's an event coming up on a Monday in a few weeks. Is that open to the public? Yes, yes. It's uh, um, Monday, April 18th. It's their annual gala. It's at the Tribeca Rooftop. You can visit our website, wellnessintheschools, with an S at the end, dot org, and you can find out about tickets there. 
um, and we have about 35 chefs, some of most of which who are chef partners, which I'll tell you about in a minute. And we're going to have some Alan Katz from New York Distiller Distilling Company is going to curate all the drinks. We got Skernick Wines supplying all the wines. So it's and it's always a great event. We have we have this um, we have this great uh, we have a live auction. Uh, we're going to have this VIP hour. We're going to have this cook-off between Michael Anthony of Gramercy, Tata, of Gramercy Tavern and Untitled. I get them all mixed up. Yeah. Rocco Despirito, Amanda Freitag, Alex Gernichelli. What they're going to do is they got the list from the procurement list of school food, and they're going to create a school lunch that we are hoping that whoever wins, or maybe all four of them, if they're great, will add them on to our alternative menu, which is the uh, menu that we work with uh, at our schools. And then you know we got it's going to be a great it's going to be a great night. It's always a great party, all right. And this is Debros. This is like a rooftop on Debros sure Street, that. right? This is like a rooftop venue on Debros Street in Tribeca. Yeah, it's down. It's down on uh, Debros Street in Tribeca. Um, yeah. So it's 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 centrally located for all uh, New York City people. Yeah. And um, I'm also hosting it with uh, Jenna Wolf, who's a who's a TV journalist and a fitness expert, and I've worked out with her. And man, she killed me. Man, I'll tell you, I'm I'm glutton for punishment. I'm going back next week. You look like, you've always been in good shape, dude. You're one of those chefs that like never got fat or like just wilted away. You've, you've always been trim. You, has exercise I'm, been a big I'm, part of your life? I'm walking the talk. All right, <laughs> I eat well and I take care of myself. So good I man. I couldn't go in and smoke cigarettes and have a big belly and say, yeah, we got to feed these kids better. I had to I had to do change. I mean, I've always worked out, so good. Good. I had to kick the cigarette habit. So I did that many years ago. <laughs> All right, so one more time, a shout out to how people can get tickets for that. It's a couple of weeks away on a Monday. You're going to go to what website? They're going to go to wellnessintheschools.org. It's, you know, wellnessintheschools, one word with an S at the end, dot org. And uh, information is right there, and they okay. could get them. And there's a VIP hour from 6 to 7 where we're going to do the cook-off. And then uh, for general admission, starts at 7 o'clock. But the food's great. You know, we got a lot of great restaurants who are part of it. And, um, and so I'm, I'm always excited about it. You know, it's a good time. Super. Now tell me about the chef's partner thing you're talking about that you, you had mentioned, right. alluded to. Yeah, so what we do is, I, you know, we bring in uh, uh, chefs like Michael and Alex uh, into the schools themselves. They adopt the school, and where they, what they do is they sort of go in three, you know, three to four times a year, and they do what we call a cafe day. So they either do demos, they do, uh, they do, do, do uh, tastings, which we mostly do. Um, so we do these uh, cooking classes uh, called Wits Labs that they'll also come and participate in. So we have a, a, probably like 25 chefs who are involved right now with us. And, um, and it's, always, you know, it's always great when you go in there with a, with a chef's coat on. Sometimes, you know, some, some guys bring the tall hats. And the kids, you just become instant celebrity. I think now with, with food TV, and uh, everyone knows what chefs do. So it's really exciting. And those are, and Michael Anthony, that's a huge name. I mean, he's been, he's been with Danny for years. He's a super, super talented guy. Was at Gramercy Tavern for years now. Yeah, he's a couple of restaurants, uh, <coughs> whatever they're called. But in, in the new one in the, in the meatpacking district. But he's a badass. He had a great book that just came out, too. V is for vegetables. I yeah, no, it's it. terrific. It's and what he's book. done is not only has he taken Gramercy Tavern, uh, to be a part of it, but when he opened Untitled and got it settled and and got through the process of opening, he's 
he's adopted another school with that restaurant, and, and their their whole team is great. I mean, all of Union Square Hospitality has been really supportive of our program. We got Jason from Mayalino's helping out also, and then the uni, the events group comes in and does some stuff with kids. So they've all been a huge part of our program. It's been really nice. And he's a New Yorker. He lives up in the Upper East Side. Has kids. Eric's corner. Yeah. Shelley's got a daughter, and Alex is a superstar. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I remember her when she was you know down at Chopped, and nobody knew who her name was, and she was shopping for ingredients at the Pioneer Supermarket. Yeah. Uh, with pocket change, and she's just blown up. I mean, she is huge, yeah. and she's a great kid. New York born and bred. Her mom's a star, and Alex, I'm, and I'm so glad to see her doing so well. So th- that's yeah. great. Yeah, definitely. And the kids must love it, because she's been on like that shop show forever. Like Everybody knows who Alex is. Yeah, I know, exactly. So it's great. It's great. Bill, so positive, always talking to you. You're such a great influence in the city, great restaurateur. Again, your restaurant, Telepan, shoot out the address for me, because I always get it wrong. I always say 67th, but it's on 69th, but is it on 67th? 72 West 69th Street. It's www.telepan-ny.com. And then don't forget, wellnessintheschools.org, April 18th. I want to see everybody there, all right? Everybody goes, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm coming with you. Yep, awesome. I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to bicycle down if the weather permits. Thank you, Mr. Telepan. Thank you, thank you. Take care. Keep up the great work. I'll see you in two weeks at this event. Be well. Awesome. We're going to segue right from Bill without any bumper music or any radio interference to my guest in studio, Risto Zazowski, who's been here a bunch of times. Risto, I'm trying to think when I first met you. You met me at Casa Lula first. <coughs> I shouldn't have said that, but that's where you met me. That's where I met you because your girlfriend at the time and wife now, Tia Keenan, was... At, in charge of the cheese program and the side dishes we were filming there. Yeah. Um, she has gone on to do so well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you two have become a couple. Out of that Out of that marriage is the cutest baby. Oh, my God. If you ever want to see, if you don't think that pizza is a drug, or at least Roberta's pizza. I can't speak to any other. I have seen your son, who's how old now? Two and a half? Just over two, yeah. Two and a half. Um, and I, but yeah, but I saw him before that when he was like, well, he would come here with Tia and you, and after the show, we would all hang out and, ha- and have dinner afterwards. And he would get that pizza, and his eyes would just glass over. Yeah, he would yeah. just go into stereo pizza land. Yeah, there's a whole pie for him. A whole pie for him. He would eat an entire pie. I mean, the pie is the, the kid who's barely as tall as the, and he would just like eat the thing upside down all over his face. When he was younger, you had that thing on that big plastic thing that was basically like a ginormous wetsuit. Exactly. You could see it would be, you know, the stuff is on his cheeks and his chin. But it, the thing is, the look on his face was just, there, there are no words for that. Now I understand when my grandmother or my mother would watch us eat as kids. <laughs> now you understand. That's why they loved it. Yeah. The pleasure that they would get from watching the results of, yeah. yeah. The kid's amazing. And I, 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 I miss him because he's always here, but Tia couldn't make it. She's got a great book coming out. Yeah. She, Rizzoli. What's the title of the book? Uh, the Art of the Cheese Plate. Okay. She's great. Uh, what a great person to write it. She's she's in that pot. It's going to be beautiful. Rizzoli always has beautiful books. It's going to be beautifully photographed. No effects, I think, was the photographer. Yeah, no effects. Yeah, good stuff. And wine pairings from you. Um, I assisted her. She, it's she, her book. It's her book. Gotcha. Yeah. Got that. Bingo. So, we'll fast forward. So, after the, I, you were John George for a while. Mm-hmm. And then you went, I think the segue was directly to Michael White. Yep. I've only had three jobs in 15 years in the city, so... And with Michael White, it's huge. So you, you, all the New York restaurants plus DC? Yeah. New York, uh, six in New York, one in Westchester, two in New Jersey. That's right. I keep forgetting the Westchester, which is the Bedford. Inn. Bedford Post Inn. Gotcha. Yeah. And then one in DC. Yeah. And then PJ does his, the chef at, up there and at iFury? Yeah. PJ's, yeah. All the chefs are like all over the place, uh, helping my, you know, obviously all under Michael. And right. it's, it's a great, talented team. And what was he doing? What was PJ doing? You have a restaurant now in Korea? 
you know, no, hotel? no, that was kind of a side thing. It was just, it was kind of like what I'm doing now, like a pop-up thing where right. there's just a, a group out there that we went out and we did iFiori out there for uh, a week. for a week. It's like, we've done it three years in a row. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about this thing, the Greenwich Project, because it came up. So, I mean, nowadays, everyone, I mean, God, social media is like <laughs> like this octopus that's yeah. destroying all of our lives. I haven't, I'm going to blast something later tonight. I still have to get to it. Um, but yeah. so, so it came out. So you, obviously, I know, I know a bunch of Psalms, mm-hmm. and we're all kind of on Facebook or Instagram and all that stuff together. Yeah. And I'm looking at this list of Psalms, and, this, and it was like Pascaline, and you're like, whoa. This, and then I'm seeing some of the wines. When she was there, she was pouring. So tell me about what is this thing? So these private collectors reached out to... To all of us uh, about two months ago saying, hey, we have a friend who has this restaurant called the Greenwich Project in uh, on 8th Street down in university. And we want to like do a pop up for a weekend, like for a few weeks. Are you interested? And I'm like, cool. Like I didn't I go. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Like I, I would love to do something like that. And I knew the guys. I knew the kind of wine they have. And, uh, you know, and, and long story short, I'm the last of the five weeks that they're doing. They did uh, Chad Walsh. They did Pascaline. They did Yannick Benjamin, um, Laura Maniac, and now I am up. I mean, quite a list. Quite a list. It's fun. with Ledoux. He's a beast. Yannick, he's and, Yannick and Heidi were together. Uh, Laura and Pascaline, both master psalms, both young guns in yeah. their 30s and bloody brilliant, known mm-hmm. so well. I mean, that's, that's like the greatest hits. Yeah, no, it's fun. And uh, so I have this whole seller to choose from and um obviously there's some like off the beaten path stuff and then there's some really cool old things like i'm gonna be pouring some like you know i'm not pouring i'm gonna be offering like some 70 free abbey cabernet and <laughs> free mark abbey cabernet. yeah and like you know just like stuff that's and you know and from so what it's they're trying to create this like convivial kind of scene no tablecloths kind of like um they, they they put this picture all in our heads and it sounds fun like some of the wines obviously are not going to be super cheap but they're going to be fun and the the way they look at it is it's on a sunday it's this sunday and monday these are the last two nights i think they're doing it. i don't know if they're going to continue after this for or at least take a break and um there's you know it's a couple of fun wines by the glass like today we're going to taste a few things like you know a 2000 cote de rhone and a 98 saint emilion and i have some like 98 like Bourgogne Rouge here. And, um, and, um, yeah, I mean, what they said is like, it's cool because Sunday's been like kind of, kind of neighborhoody. And then right. Monday's been industry and people have been coming and maybe somebody buys a bottle, another person buys another bottle. Everyone just gets up and shares. It's really casual. You know, I'll be wearing jeans and, you know, just bring my wine tools to open these old corks up. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. My, I mean, I'm looking at this list and, <clears throat> I mean, you make, so, so there's a bunch, there's at least, Almost a dozen wines by the glass. Yeah, yeah. And then there's champagne, whites, reds by the bottle. But well, I mean, I'm, other side too. Oh, we're gonna go through. But but so <laughs> so by the glass. I mean, the, the Centennial you're talking about is a Grand Cru. It's 1998, and it's 13 bucks. Fucking 13 dollars for glass. Like, yeah. where are you gonna find that anywhere? Answer yeah. is nowhere. Yeah, and we're like, Chassagne Montrachet, 05. Uh, Vialvin, 18 dollars. Beringer. 82. Yeah, I'm going to open 82 Berenger, Knights few, Valley. Yeah, they $18 a, few, a bottle. Yeah, a glass. $18 a glass. I mean, it's yeah. insane. Like, I mean, they have some fun things. They're like, good, go ahead, pop them open. If they're good, we pour them. If they're not good, they're not. I mean, there were some really casual guys. So it should be really, unpre- I mean, it's definitely unpretentious. And um, yeah, like, it's going to be cool. I mean, let's see who comes out of the woodwork. Um, I have the last of the list, so they have to buy some more wine, bring some more wines in because everyone else picked through it. So, you know. <laughs> well, that's I. So you got so right. You're the guy. At the I, end. Okay, I was gotcha. at the end, like, wait a second, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> this is all really expensive stuff, guys. And they're like, no, no, we got here's another list. Like, okay, great, thanks. But you're, and he's right, Freemark Abbey, 1970, 1978. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. That is like a that is like let's like 
like Jurassic Park. That's like a dinosaur in the wine world, like a time capsule. And we're two hundred twenty dollars a bottle. I mean, that's well, that's. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not cheap, but it's. But that's no, I think it's cheap. Yeah, so they're also going to be serving food, um, like little small plates from the restaurant. The chef is a former chef from um, from Pichelin, and um, but it's going to be definitely wine focused, and uh, yeah, it should be, it should be, it should be a good time. Nine eighty three Margot Brent Cantinac. 83, Margot, mm. Brand Continent, $130 a bottle. God damn, if I was here on Sunday, I would be there. You'd have yeah. to wheel me out at the end of the night. That's ridiculous. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, and on top, some of these things, you know, the buy the glass list is short. So when things 86, I'll probably pop things open and offer different things. And yeah, I mean, the more people come, the better. And uh, Ryan Manna, uh, the sommelier from uh, Osir Marini, is going to come and assist me. So we're going to work together. It's just going to be fun. It's funny, that whole idea of these collectors that sort of, I mean, when you think of when Shigalanti was a crew, Guild, Veritas, I mean, these restaurants were kind of, I mean, Veritas specifically and crew were just built around yeah. guys with just million dollar collections that mm-hmm. just said, oh, I just, let's open a restaurant. Here's my cellar. Make a list. Yeah. Um, and then there's, and then there's like these dual kind of partnership things. I know that a lot of what Patrick's selling at Pearl and Ash uh, is from collections of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone, you know, everyone, everyone needs to help and everyone's helping. And it's the way, I mean, we just talked about this earlier when we saw each other, like, you know, the way the economy is going a little bit with, with, you know, we got to get clever. We got to get really clever. We need to, you know, we got to, you know, it's only so thin you can slice things, you know, and you just got to get smarter and more resourceful. It's just, it's just, it's, Money doesn't grow on trees. No, it's. I have this kind of. I mean, I'm in the same space as you are, but with a different hat on media side. But I'm talking to chefs and restaurateurs on a daily basis, often multiple times. And you know, with this new minimum wage and now the new new minimum wage that's walking in, and you know, people think that restaurants are these. You know, you go to a busy restaurant, you think, oh my god, they must be just rolling in money. and the fr- the proper margin is so effing thin. Well, this is the thing. We're serving real food. I mean, having Bill Telepen on earlier, like I, I really can't top that that interview. But like, they're trying to serve real food to people. You told you said you talked you worked in commodities. Like, who knows what that food was? We all it's garbage. It's shit. And, and like, people expect to pay so much for like I, like I told you I just read this interview with David Chang and he's like my ramen should cost 28 cost that. properly but we have to sell for 17 or else right. people are going to think it's expensive right. so of course fast casual is getting popular and just more casual in general because we can't pay money for Bernadotte chip plates I mean chip replace Bernadotte chip plates anymore and white tablecloth and all this kind of stuff and nor do people really want it anymore but I just, it's just, you know, you just gotta, it's gotta, we gotta keep reinventing it, reinventing it. We're all gonna eat. We all need to eat, but we all wanna put, we, we all care what we put in our body. Yeah, and David also made, has made the point, as have others that I know, um, the guy at Fung too, that, and it, like, you look at like Korean food or Chinese food specifically, um, people think it's supposed to be cheap. And a lot of it was because they were using commodity stuff, just stuff. So what if you do Chinese and you use herdage pork? What if you do Chinese or Korean and using really good beef? Yeah. You know, grass-fed beef or really high quality. You know, suddenly, you know, it, it, you, you can't be serving these ingredients for 12 13 $14. Now it's 22 and people really look askance at that. No, for there's sure. There's resistance. It just, there's going to be a line put in the, in the sand eventually that this is considered junk food and this is considered good food. Right. And people just don't know the difference still. And... You know, I mean, yeah, it's, listen, it's, it's our job to educate. It's right. our job to, you know, not, you know, again, like, you know, we want to just, you know, 
you know, you had, we talked, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> We're on the same let's, page. Let's say some wine. So let's say some wine. And let's talk. So let's, actually, let's start with the taste. Pour something. I just say you're right All there. Right, that's me. I'll so this is a pastragon. Oh, I can't even pronounce it properly. Sorry. Uh, this is a mix of, of uh, Gamay and Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. And from Burgundy, and it's called Padrucan or something Padrucan, like yes. Right. And, the and this law, doesn't look like it's filtered or fine? Well, is first it? of all, it's 1998. Ah, so that's good. I did not see it's that It's like, you, I've never had this wine before. I never had a pastragon blend like this before ever and it's by considered one of the top wine company wine makers in burgundy mayo camise and it's i poured it already like ahead of time 15 minutes ago it's kind of reduced but it's it's yeah the law is it's got to be at least x amount of pinot noir and x amount gamay but then they can put anything else they want it chardonnay pinot gris pinot, pinot blanc anything they want that's growing in the fields but there's nothing on this wine, even on their website. Like, it doesn't even—he doesn't say he makes this wine. So, <laughs> I'm like, great. Now, you know, that's it, helpful. It's, you know, well, we know there's a guy named. We know there's Pinot Noir, and we know there could be another four or five. It's probably. In mo- there. It's probably. I mean, by law, it has to have a minimum of thirty percent Pinot it? and fifteen percent Gamay. The rest can be anything else, but it's probably mostly Pinot because, and maybe a little bit of Gamay because it definitely has a Pinot thing going on in the nose. It does, but there's also a little like funk in the nose. Yeah, that yeah. you kind of get from those. The those yeasts that are yeah. is this guy is he bio is he organic or is it just uh, well this is ninety eight so I don't know what they were doing be, they okay. were, I don't know what they were doing back then but he's definitely considered one of the most aromatic styles of Burgundy I mean he's famous for his Clos de Vigeau and his Richebourg and all this all this all the wines from like kind of central and southern Cote de Nuit um, I, I just like a rock star making like like kind of like his house wine here right table wine yeah it's uh, delicious it's cool right we got to drink delicious. it all because we got to pour the next glass here yeah it's really I mean. Tight, tauter, tighter, more acidic, and the tan- and the acids and tannins kind of give this really puckering so, end of the mouth feel. So ninety eight was one of the first vintages in Burgundy that I worked with when I started Jean George, and ninety eight wasn't considered I mean a great vintage. It's, it was always considered a hard vintage. It was kind of pretty in the beginning and then finishes off really hard. And that's what this wine does. It, it has plenty of backbone. It's not <laughs> wimpy at all. No, no, not at all. All right. So the next. Wine is what's that fancy thing called? What's this yeah, thing it's a Coravon because I need to use this wine again. This uh, since we're pouring these by the glass. So a Coravon is a it's like a it's, yeah. it's a tool that pushes argon in through the core. No oxygen and no oxygen gets in the wine, right. so the wines actually hold uh, preserve much longer. I, I mean, it's great um, if you have a home cellar or if a, if a beverage program wants to pour a lot of wines by the glass that um, they know they're not going to move so fast. Like my guys in DC pour some higher end, like anything over twenty dollars a glass that they know they're going to. We want to ensure people are getting a fresh glass, so it's it's a pretty insur- it ensures that. I try and if I open the bottle, I try and finish it. That's Michael Echo's uh, rule. Yeah, I know, I know that's. But then people frown upon that. They're yeah, like, well, Mike, you have a bottle of wine with dinner by yourself. Sometimes I'm like, no, 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 no. All listen, the time, actually, yeah, listen. Sorry. I'm, I, it'll last for hours. I don't drink it with dinner. Yeah. Sometimes it'll be like with dinner. Oh no, and then I'll I, go to a cigar and tea, and then I'll go back to the wine after just to see where it's gone in that hour how, and a half. How about this? Sometimes we don't have time to finish the whole bottle of wine. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. You like that one? All right. There we go. Okay. (laughs) So this is the youngest wine we have uh, right now I'm showing today. Uh, It's a 2000 Cote de Rhone. Producer I never heard of before, but they're organic. Um, Again, this is, I think, $12 a glass we're going to pour it for, whatever it is. Um, It's mostly Grenache, which is Cote de Rhone, Southern Rhone. The rest is Syrah. Um, a little funky because, you know, Syrah, the Grenache and Syrah has naturally that spicy kind of gamey thing going on, but with some age on it, you get that sweatiness. That's and a good th- description. That's a good description. It's kind of sweaty funk. Sweaty funk, kind of like sweaty stewy funk. Like taking off, like, well, I don't know. Gym clothes out of the gym bag. Yeah, I was thinking like those, like 
leather gloves if you're going to like do some yard work or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know who mm. does that anymore, especially in the city. But in the mouth, holy mackerel! Mm-hmm. What a pleasant wine. That's something. I mean, funny back to back because it's almost the opposite in the mouth. Completely different. The first one had tension and like grabbed you, and you're like, whoa, right? And need some food. This one is like, oh man, I'm, I can drink this. Correct. You might want to take that to finish that later. I'm having salmon tonight, I'm thinking. A big piece of salmon. And that, I love that. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think that would work really well with the dinner that I'm going to have. Salmon, pizza, and string beans. Beautiful. Yeah. So it's cool because you're, you're tasting these grapes with development, which with when, with wine gets older, it just it, it's becomes it's, – it's harder to tell what grape it really is. But it's cool to taste the development and the, the secondary flavors and whatnot. So – it's it just it just you know, I mean these wines are not supposed to be like, like, in, in, like pretentious at all. They're supposed to be just like great. I'll try a glass and I'll try something else afterwards. They're both delicious. I mean this is this is this is kind of like exciting stuff to do. This is why we go out to eat and yeah. have psalms like you. I just say no no I don't want a bottle. I'm going to commit buy the glass. I bet here's here's what I'm ordering. Here's what, here's what she's ordering or he's ordering. Do buy the glass for us. Odds are I might be doing some fun stuff like popping up a half bottle. They're popping like selling a half bottle of it or something because these guys are really cool. And they're like, if you think you can push it, go ahead. And I want to try some of this juice. Like I've never had this stuff before. Like like these old Cali cabs and and these uh, like older Chateau of the Pops. Wow. So now we're now we're in Bordeaux blend world. So now you're drinking a Bordeaux that needs like that probably is is peaked. It's peaking. Um, so 1998. It's delicious. The nose. You know, I'm not, not drinking it yet. The nose is like, bing, signature. Yeah. So mostly Merlot, a little Cabernet Franc. Um, I get another Chateau I've only maybe seen before, but not crazy. And it's in great condition. Um, the wine, you know, all these wines have been stored for a long time and sitting in, in one place. Um, 1998, a great year for the right bank. Um, and, and it's funny. I find myself drinking a lot of right bank Bordeaux lately. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. It's where, in, in terms in, mo- in modernity, it's where if 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 they're nibbling around the edges of organic bio in Bordeaux, yeah. it's probably in the right bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be smaller vigneron. Mm-hmm. It's going to be family run farms, smaller parcels, not a lot of hectares to cover, um, and. I, you know, I never saw that movie sideways, I swear, but the, the idea of the vilification of Merlot, like, I remember when it came out, I was like, I get maybe because I'm old and I grew up drinking Bordeaux yeah. and kind of understood its place as a blend and it's how it works beautifully on the left bank to a lesser extent with Cabernet Sauvignon and Cab Franc, but on the right bank, it's, it's you know, Cheval Blanc. I mean, hello, folks. It's an insanely great grape. I just think um, it's, I think it's, I'm going to, I just thought of this now. You know why probably people are enjoying drinking it more now? Because they're so used to Melbach. And if they don't find Malbec, people are probably recommending Right Bank Bordeaux just because it has the same kind of tannin structure. It has the power. It has the dark fruits. It has a little bit of wood on it. A little it. bit of oak. Most of the Malbecs I can't stand. I hate, I hate to say it. No, no, no. But people, but people now, the old Pinot Noirs back when Sideways is around, the new grape is Malbec. Like, oh, do you have a Malbec? Do you have a Pinot Grigio? Do you have a Malbec? Like, those are, people just know what comes off their tongue. It's fine. Like, listen... As long as they're drinking wine, that's, that's I, great. We, we cannot be doctrinaire or snobby or judgmental. Yeah. No, as long no. as they're drinking wine. It, and eventually, they'll take the training wheels off and get in the deep end of the pool and, and hang out. Again, everyone, you know, people like to either collect cars or watches or sea salt or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, I know people have collections of different things. Lip balm, whatever it is. Some people like... <laughs> Lip balm. Some, some people like to like, you know, I'd rather spend an extra $5 on a nicer glass of wine or something like that. Have you met my son? 
Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were. He's out of his mind. Like, yeah. The kid makes a lot of money, and has, <laughs> I guess he's a typical twenty-six-year-old guy. Like, lives month to month. Doesn't have to, but he literally spends like ninety percent of his discretionary income is he goes to Flatiron, he goes to Chambers, and he buys wine. You can't drinks more expensive wine at home than I do. I mean, dude, why are you drinking? That's like a thirty-five dollar bottle. I know that bottle. I know exactly where. They, I, I don't drink that wine. It's yeah. expensive. Yeah. It's really good. I, I know, but you don't. Have, I mean, you come on. You find something. You could, yeah. He's what? insane. He's like stoked, and it's hysterical. Uh, but anyway, let's take a quick break because we have to take a spot here. These are a couple of people that make this show possible and help support this network, and they're all friends of mine. So a quick spot. Shout out to those people, Colavid and Bordeaux. And we're going to come back and talk about – I think we're going to segue. I think we're going to talk about Sicily because Pascaline, as you know. Yeah. Pascaline's in Sicily. I've been getting – oh, my God, the Instagram, the Instagram, Facebook feeds of her and the adventures of her and Alice firing. Um, traipsing around They were in Verona Now they're in Sicily They're on Etna Give me a break girl It was uh, The only time I was He's gonna open a restaurant eventually oh, <laughs> That's another story I'll tell you that No offline. in a good way She a good, No she's great The Rushamat will open Anyway here's a break We'll be back after the break Stay tuned Yes. Yeah. Folks, Mike Kalameko here. Everybody knows that great cooking really starts with great ingredients, and these days we have so many options to choose from. Well, I go back to the Colavita family brand for years, and there really is a Colavita family behind this brand. I got their story long after I started using their products. Back in the mid-80s, when I was the chef at the Ritz-Carlton here in New York City, one of the things you can do as a chef is order your own food. You do the purchasing, and we switched olive oils to Colavita. Uh, when I had my own restaurant down in Cape May, New Jersey, the Globe, for years, that's all we ever poured at the table. That's all I ever cooked with. And then when I started my PBS show in 1999, I thought, you know, if I'm going to look after underwriting and funders, why don't I go after products that I, I actually use at home, that I actually cook for my family with and in my restaurant with. I've been working with them for 15 years with the PBS series and now with Heritage Radio. The Colavita family goes back generations in Italy. They make their olive oil from great sourced olives, traceable sourced olives, just south of Rome in Molise province, Abruzzi, which is where my family hails from. Since then, their families moved here, so there's Colavita's living in Rome, Colavita's living in America. It's a great, trusted family brand. It's the olive oil I use, and I recommend you try it as well. So when you think of the great wine regions of the world historically, I mean, you're, you're going to be led back to Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, okay, maybe Piedmont, Italy too. And as a chef growing up, boy, if you were working in great restaurants in the 70s and 80s, they were mostly all French, and we grew up drinking Bordeaux and Burgundy and Champagne with impunity. Well, fast forward to today, and I just, just got back from the 2015 Bordeaux Harvest. We were there for a week with a bunch of sommeliers. It was so much fun, and I'll tell you, <laughs> this isn't your grandfather's Bordeaux. There's a whole new generation of young vignerons working with this great terroir that they've lived on, this soil that they know that they've grown up with and the great varietals that we all know and love Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cab Franc, Petit Verdot, Malbec. You know, this the style of Bordeaux now that's younger, that's fresher, that's meant to be consumed now and not cellared because honestly, which of us has a cellar and who wants to buy a bottle of wine and wait 10 years? So the Bordeaux whites are amazing. 
uh, you know, Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon, like hello, two grapes that we know. The reds tell all sorts of different stories from the left bank style that are a little more Cabernet Sauvignon driven, a little more structured right bank, a little more Merlot, a little easier, um, a little more upfront friendly. But if you haven't thought about drinking Bordeaux wine, give it another shot. For 15 to $35 in that price range, which is my price range, there's tremendous value in there. So if you're walking past a Bordeaux wine, stop, grab a great bottle. These are some of the most food-friendly wines on planet Earth. Have you listened to A Taste of the Past? It's a show devoted to connecting our current food world with its storied past. Host and culinary historian Linda Palaccio welcomes chefs, scientists, authors, scholars, and revolutionaries into the studio to discuss food culture and history from around the globe. Have you seen the culture of food change over the past 25, 30 years? It's been incredible. Linda covers content ranging from the history of black chefs in the White House to behavioral psychology and the evolution of Italian food in America. You can listen to A Taste of the Past anytime on HeritageRadioNetwork.org or on iTunes and Stitcher. Hey, welcome back. Kolomeko here with Risto Zazowski, <coughs> the beverage director slash sommelier for Altamare Group, which is Michael White's growing empire. All right. So as I said, you know, I, I, I have been forced by outside forces to embrace the world of social media. In spite of the fact that it isn't my bag. But Welcome to Instagram. Welcome to Instagram. So, you know, you, dude, you got to be with it because that's like, that's like a metric now. So I'm like, okay, okay, Grandpa learned. So I've been, I've been dragged reluctantly into the 21st century. Fine, I'm here. Um, it's all good. And I, and all right, food's better than ever. Food's better than ever nowadays. But anyway, so, but, you can, but it is kind of cool because you kind of open up your thing like first thing in the morning. Like, I'll check my Gmail account and then I go to Facebook right away. Like, what's on the Facebook and scroll down and then who likes my Instagram? Whatever. But Facebook's cool because you get, you have these, you know, hundreds or thousands of friends. In, in probably both of our cases, a lot of them are actually our friends. Yeah. And you get to see where they are and what they're eating and what they're doing, and it's cool. So, uh, Pascaline, who's gotten a lot of buzz on this show already, she's been on the show a bunch of times. She's a real rock star. I first met her on the floor of Rouge Tomate uptown. Has been traveling with one of her best friends and another great ambassador for the world of wines, Alice Firing, who was a real pioneer in the in the whole bio organic natural. I hate to throw these terms around. I mean, bio means something. So does organic, natural, kind of maybe a little more wobbly. But Alice has been on this bandwagon forever, and they're traveling around. And right now they're in Etna. So let's talk about like Etna in the last fifteen years historically. Drink it while drink it while it's still affordable. Nero Davila. I mean, before, historically they were producing a lot of Sicily was shit Nero Davila that they were sending to the mainland to blend. Yeah, so Sicily of all twenty states in France and in, in Italy, Italy is produces the most wine. Yeah, they they make the most. Are they the most or the second? It's between them yeah. and Veneto. One of those two. They make the most. But yeah, because of all the bulk wine, all the Madeira, sorry, all the Marcella mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And near Davila, that they were just sending in big yep, you're right. tanks for blending on the inside. And now suddenly, like Sud de France, like the Loire Valley, like other places, as Vigneron got priced out of other regions, they started to look and say, where can I go? And we've seen this happen all around France and all around Italy, too. And so suddenly, you know, Sicily was like maybe a bargain place to go. And then you look at Etna and you think, well, what do, what do we love 
as wine drinkers, and what do vignerons look for? Well, we, we like elevation. We like temperature swings. We like cool nights. We like hot days. We like breezes because that'll prevent a lot of bugs and mold and stuff. Not a lot of rain. Oh, and throw in incredible volcanic soil. All kinds of granite and volcanic soil, black volcanic soil. It's a it's a bloody active volcano, and you and exposures, and you've got like suddenly it's like paradise. And vines that been there for a while too, forever, forever, forever. The Greeks kind of trained the Romans or whoever the hell was in Sicily at that time how to move <laughs> those stones around and build those terraces to hold the ground so when it rains your your topsoil doesn't run off. But I'll never forget we were at a restaurant, me and two two wine friends of mine. Um. Beth and, and her cohort from Cornerstone, but totally into wine. They're, they study wine all the time. And we were at, we were down... Um, near, re- near Costada. Costada, Steakhouse. The former, not there anymore, RIP, unfortunately. We are down at Costada, and you came out with a white. And we were always gluttons for punishment, so I'm like, I never want to know. I do this all the time when I go out, when I know the, the front of the house people, the Psalms. You blind taste me, so just don't, don't let me see the label. Yeah, I asked you. I, I said, do you want to... No, want... but we don't want to know. And I always do this because it's funny. Cause I just find it a challenge as a person that drinks wine because you're kind of walking in the dark and it makes you do this kind of deductive detective work of what does it remind me? You know, all that stuff. Because you... I mean, you've been studying wine forever. You know the drill. Um, and you poured it. You decanted it. You swirled it around and we poured it and we were, we were honing in and you think I got it, but I'm not sure. No, I, I was got, close. You got it. It's, it's, so it's a mystery. It's a white wine and it was decanted and it's... And when it's in the glass, and we're going, okay, so it's it's Italian, and it's probably Southern Italian, and it's coastal, and I'm getting a little something that suggests volcanic, so it could be from maybe outside of Naples, or it could be... And I think you were, like, nudging us. You were like, you're close, and it tastes like an island wine, and bingo, suddenly the light goes on. Caricante. Yeah. Etna Bianco. Yep. Talk about the wines now that are coming out of Etna. So... I mean, it's really that that little area uh, is like like you can you know you consider this beautiful just one spot in the world that's not like anywhere else. You're right, volcanic soils, wines growing between 400 and a thousand meters above sea level, um, close to the sea, close to the sea. Um, it's so that area like everywhere else in Europe like was making wine forever but died and became a bulk I mean Italy for back and forth through all the world wars pretty much got the shit end the stick and not until the 80s did finally like Polari decide like you know I think we can we can rejuvenate this area and they were probably the, the pioneers that brought things back and um yeah, they plant it all over. Obviously, trying not to make just bulk wine because it's easy to make wine in that in, the, in that great that great whole area of Italy um, of Sicily. But um, and then and then it just slowly, like you said, these guys start moving down there and be like, "Wow, this is really cool. We can do some things here." And I, I remember the first Sicilian wine I tasted when I was at JG, and I was like, "Wow, this is like Burgundy meets CDP." Shutting up the pipe. Mm. It was like it had tension and acid, but it had this smoky kind of like meaty thing going on. And I was like, wow. And yeah, and it was up there in the mountains. And, and it was actually from Faro, but let's just for Edna's sake, it's, it was similar in, in characteristics. And um, I, I've been a fan. I was like, these are awesome. And I, I'm unfortunate to go out there. But 
yeah, the, there's some areas that still have old vines. Like the wine you had was from Bonatti, and Bonatti is actually mm. vignerons that have been there since. That's what was Bonatti? Okay. Yeah, Bonatti. B N A Binati, just the way it sounds. B I N A T I. Yeah. And they, that wine you had was one of three vineyards they have that were basically ungrafted, pre phylloxera, like 80 to, I mean, let's just, let me just be 60 to 100 year old vines and white wine. And the other two are red wine uh, vineyards. And they they have vineyards on all... Like, think of Mount Etna. As, obviously, it's a volcano. But the, the vines are planted in the north, the east, and the south. So think of it as like, kind of like a moon, like a, like a, like a moon wedge. And, um, and it's just beautiful. Um, but I'm so glad it's rejuvenated. Like I said, drink these wines now um, because, <laughs> because they will... I, I mean, look at what happened to, look at what happened to Austria 10 years ago with Gruner Veltliner and... And, you know, even Beaujolais in a way. I was going to say, that's what comes to mind. I was the 05 harvest, which was the, one of the great harvests of this this century. And Beaujolais was being a traction. I was working with them to help promote. And we were meeting Jean-Paul Blum and the, the guys there. They were really, really vigneron. And we were there during the harvest. And these guys' hands were just dirt. And yeah. suddenly they were stained. Their teeth were stained. And I was thinking, fucking. And back then, you could buy those wines in New York for 18 to $22 a bottle for Cru Beaujolais. Yeah. And now it's. $10, $10 worth easily. Yeah, it's not ridiculous. Cause, Still worth it. Because you drink those wines young, but I think Etna is going to get expensive because those wines have so much tension and acid to them that those wines can age. Like, the guys that are going to get it are the guys that, like, really make well-balanced wines. And like I, like I said, like, we just tasted this... Uh, this Pinot dominated blend and this Grenache that are like 20 years old and they're, 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 they're still really alive. Um, I just don't think there's enough. The culture is for being, being Italy and having so much culture, that area is still young. So we'll see it. Um, but like I said, Bonatti. So the cool thing with Bonatti is they were, I think, pharmacists. I visited the winery. They were pharmacists and or, or scientists or something like that. They were doctors. Let's just say they were doctors. And they had that winery since, let's just say, 1900, give or take 10 years. And I think in the 30s or 40s, the father, the second generation, decided to sell it. And then the generation now, I think two generations later, bought it back. Wow. So it's pretty no cool. Crazy. I didn't know that's crazy. So out of their hands for the whole most of a century. Something or maybe they leased it out or whatever, whatever. it was, they 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 now it's theirs. Theirs is theirs. They, they they love it now. Yeah. And Sicily's full of these characters. I mean, Cornelison's this Belgian guy that comes down, yeah. who what he was not a winemaker to be, just falls in love with these parcels mm-hmm. and then goes full on bio. Yep. It's like him and a donkey. And, and I mean, he produces I, and, these wines. I mean, I buy that. There's one that I buy at Discovery, the entry level one. That's something. What's it called? You know the one they sell for twenty some dollars a bottle. Kind of cloudy red. Yeah. Un- but it's an amazingly. It's such a wonderfully alive bottle of wine. I'm always marveling every time I drink that wine. I forget that I could, because the name is written down the side of the label. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's delicious. It changes from glass to glass within the glass from the beginning of the bottle to the end. Super food friendly. Yep. And alive. Mm-hmm. Um. Let me ask you a question. I, the older I get, it seems, the, the more the I'm steering away from big, oaky, fruity, concentrated wines. I don't know why this is. So this is strange. But, you know, I find myself loving Pelaverga, Schiava, Ruke, Cherizolo, Grignolino, Pinot Noir, Gamay, Norella, Mascalese. Why do you think that is? Um, you do go the other way. You think that the older I get, the more I would want these big, extracted, you know, 
wines that are kind of higher alcohol and have seen oak and are just, you know, and I don't. I just, I'm going to find myself not going there anymore. Um, let me think about this. I feel like we... You're not my shrink. You don't have to answer the question. No, I know. I, I feel like it's easy to drink those wines first. I remember when I learned wines, the first two things I drank were California Cab and Bordeaux. Big. Big. Broad-shouldered. Just like, wow, this has more power. This is... Like, you couldn't understand the nuances. So the older we get, I think we like things a little bit more... We, we pay attention to more of the nuances. And it's nothing wrong with those big wines. There's a place for them. You definitely enjoy drinking them. Like, I had some amazing Cali Cab the other day, and I was like, wow, this is really impressive. Um, it's just, it's a, I think, like, when I went from focusing on French wines at John George to Italian whites, Italian wines at Ultimaria Group, it was difficult for me to put a white wine list together from scratch because I thought all the wines were like, wow, Italian white, I really need to learn more about them. And I, I use the... Um, I used that part in Spinal Tap where I needed to like stop and put the volume all the way to 11 and listen to it because those wines, yes, if you just drink it like just they all, let's just say they all taste the same. Let's just think of the first time we ever had wine. It's intimidating. Well, red wine tastes like red wine. It's heavier, light, and then white wine tastes like white wine. It's, you know, dry or sweet or something like that, right? Like let's just be really basic, 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 basic. You really need to listen to like those wines. So the more we get interested in anything – the more we tell the difference on things. There's definitely more shades of gray. Where in the beginning, it's more like, well, what's bigger than this? What's bigger than this? What's bigger than this? It's easy to add on top. It's, add, it's easier to make something sweeter. It's something easier to make something heavier. It's, something, it's easy to make something saltier. Like, whatever it is. It's easy to make something just richer. Yeah. It's, it's, let's it's just pick, the, let's it. pick this really ripe fruit. Let's wait till there's a ton of sugar. We get a lot of alcohol. Let's use new oak. Ba 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 bing. No, no, no. But listen, you need to have the perfect recipe for that too. Just That's how work. you're baking those wines. Yeah. Like there's great winemakers in California and in Southern Rhone, sort of Southern France and and Australia. Like they make great wine. They have these great concentrated grapes. They don't. They they, they know what to do with them. Mm. But then there's people that are like, I want to try to make this and. You know, that's that's the thing. Like, I just think you, we, it takes longer to have different kind of um, trends, let's just say, because you can only make wine once a year. God, that's the other you thing. Can't right? bake, you, can't, you can't bake three – like, you can't make three pizzas in the next hour and just make it better and better. You right. need to wait a right. year before right. you do it. Right. So I just and, think – And subject to the weather and subject to all of the – you know, from – Fruit set to bud, to right. you name it, to the summer, is it going to rain? And yeah. when's it going when's, when's to, how are we going to get to the harvest? What's the weather going to be like at the harvest? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be hail or rain? It's crazy. Yeah. It's like alchemy. It's like, I don't know how these people do it. It's like torture. So I, I just think people know more and they want to try different things. Like, you know, I went from starting drinking vodka to going to rum, then going to, to bourbon. And now I prefer single malts and gins. I just like, I don't know, like your palate, you you want different sensations in your mouth and you want to change different things. Um, it's easy to say, well, it depends what you're eating because sometimes, no, I don't think sometimes I want to drink rosé no matter what I'm eating because I feel like drinking a nice chilled rosé. Sometimes I really want like a really high acid, like tense, like whatever it is, like Barbera. And then sometimes I'm like, all right, I really just want a slutty wine. Like, give me something juicy, <laughs> and I can just drink it, right. and it goes with these, like... Simple por- pleasure. Yeah. Simple pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, I know. When it, I, I like Eric Asimov's writing um, the last bunch of years on wine, and he talks about, you know... I mean, they, when he did that piece, he's doing a wine a month, or whatever it's called, and he was writing about Sauvignon, 
um, Chanel from Noir. Uh, and he's talking about that winding the sort of difficult. Like sometimes you want to read a Tom Clancy novel because it's pure pleasure. You want to watch yeah. a James Bond movie. You know, then you go. But but seven years is sort of wine that you really need to board down. Is it going to be oxidative or reductive? Yep. I mean, what am I signing up for? And can I tell even from the fucking label? I had a white burgundy yesterday that the winemaker purposely makes oxidized. I'm like, okay. I have never felt, or I, I, the sensations on my tongue were not going where I thought Chardonnay should be going. Right. Okay, this is not a bad wine. It just, but then maybe down the road, I'm like, wow, I've never had that wine. I really want to try it with this dish or something like that. Because I just think there's more out there social media, uh, education, more publications. There's just so much media and so many more. Some, I mean, the culture just grown. So, of course, you know. We're going to like what we like, as sommeliers. But we also need to, like, I know what I can sell in New Jersey and what I can't. I know what I can sell in the Upper East Side and what I can't. I know what I can mm. sell in Soho and what I... Mm. And I, I, there's just, I think you can just get, get away with more things in different areas. And we are, I say this every time I have someone here about why we were so lucky to be in a city like, like New York City today. Because we are awash in, in incredible wines. There's so many great small importers. So many, I mean, Dresner may have started something a while back, but <clears throat> Kermit Lynch and Rosenthal. I mean, there's just these guys with yeah. these portfolios and little niche people, you know, uh, Savio Suarez and, and um, Jenny and Francois and Zev. I mean, there's so many great wines coming to this market mm-hmm. that my friends that come from Europe are like, you know, they come from France. Really, I can't buy this wine in France and you have it here. Right. Crazy. Because the allocation was we want to go to the States. Yeah. No. We're, we're it, swimming in this. It, it's a cool time right now for Great this time. stuff. It's really cool. I went out to dinner a couple of weeks ago, went to Namwa Tea Parlor, and I, I asked Wilson if he would just waive the corkage charge because I was coming with wine friends. With so everyone brought a bottle. It was for five minutes. We had five or six bottles of wine. One of them was a, a friend of mine that works, Beth, works for Cornerstone, who reps Alto Adige. She had a Pinot Grigio, which is a great you know, It can be filled. I mean, there's so much bad Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. Let's not discuss that, but there's great. So Alto Adige, high elevation. Mm-hmm. I forget the year. And I remember we were – and everyone at the table was into wine, and my son was there too. And then we poured it, and we're all just, why does this wine have this weight? It, the color was pretty intense, darker, golden than you would think. Um, mouthfeel was a little rounder, a little oilier, just more, there was more to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking maybe a little skin contact, maybe, you know, a couple of months on leaves with batonnage. Mm-hmm. I'm just, we're all guessing. So no one has the answer. So so we Google Beth gets home and Google's the producer. Mm-hmm. Can you explain? We found we got so so it, I think the year was twelve, and she said it was kind of a difficult year. Um, fair amount of rain in the summer, uh, too much rain in the summer actually, and then we got to the fall and it really dried out, like it just stopped raining. And then we had those temperature swings because the Alto Adige is famous for that. It's like one of the hottest places in Italy, Balzano is, and then at night it just drops down thirty degrees. So we've got those great diurnal swings, and then. She said, you know, we, we left the fruit on the vine until the last minute. We could just get away with it. We did. And our yield was slightly down. So 15% less yield than normal. And then she threw this word in extracts or extraction or extract or something. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm totally, okay. I'm so, I get it. What does that mean? And then we all went to like Jansen's extract. What, how do you define that in wine? It has to do with like the dry compounds that are, what's that word mean? Well... And it wasn't extraction as in extraction that way. Yeah. It was extracts. And it was just so it was, um, so it was just funny. It was just like all of us were bouncing uh, around these ideas and, and they came back to us and it had to do with these things that are left in the wine right. when okay. everything else goes out. All right. So I don't never heard that term before. So I was going to tell you what I think. Okay. The less you 
mess with Pinot Grigio, the better it tastes. Mm. The problem is everyone filters it and makes it look like a neutral, simple wine, and that's what people expect. But the great Pinot Grigio should have this kind of pinkish hue or at least kind of a light gray because mm. the grapes, if you see them— they're freaking red. Yeah, right. I show people, I go, guess what the grape that is? Like, what? I go, this is Pinot Grigio. I go, really? I go, yeah. And when people are like, wow, this is like, why is it weird in color? I go, because this is what it's supposed to be. And Alto Adige, Friuli, yes. Has it been bastardized a little bit? Yes. But there's a market for all that kind of stuff. I think I when I when I would pour, when I put a Pinot Grigio by the glass at one of the restaurants and people come, I want a glass of wine. I go, great. Can I blind you on it? And of course, like you, because I, I don't want to show the bottle of it. I go, great. And I pour that to him. I'm like, wow, this is really good. I'm like, thanks. And I go, what do you think it is? I go, it tastes like, you know, maybe Chablis or something like that. Because, it, listen, Pinot Grigio is a very neutral varietal. It's considered in the same camp as Pinot Blanc and Chardonnay. It has, it can be manipulated because you can add to it and it, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like cake. You can add frosting to it. And it doesn't, like, we're Riesling and those other grapes like Sauvignon Blanc, it really, those guys, those guys are like their own skeleton. And they were like, wow. Like, I remember doing that for, like, the whole, like, I'm like, I'm opening this restaurant, and I'm putting a fucking Pinot Grigio on the list, because this is delicious, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, people are like, wow, I can't believe it. And it was really cool. I was, I, I just, I just, I think people shouldn't assume, like, when you, you know, with whatever, is Malbec, or, I think everyone's making something good everywhere. There's right. a reason why. It's the... You know, it's there. Um, but your point is that it was not filtered. It was, it was, it was pressed normally. It was, it was not manipulated. Yeah, I think with native yeast, too. Um, there was well, a bunch of things that made sense. Well, no, no, no. It, of course. Like, all the, all the things everyone that's doing good wine now, native yeast, uh, you know, whatever. Maybe it was unfiltered or whatever it was. But, yeah. It's so funny. Well, thank It was just... It was funny, and I love. I mean, thanks. I mean, I have so much. It's what what you guys do. What Psalms bring to uh, us diners and in the food world, the pleasure, pouring us great wines, explaining us, walking us through it. I love the blind tasting stuff. It's been so much yeah. fun to to be at you know at the table when you're pouring wines for us, and and and. It, we don't go out to dinner much because you're busy and I'm busy and we're in different worlds. But I love hanging out with wine people. It's kind of like the thing to do is... It flew. Our time flew. I know. We went through an hour. And we had like, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Let's just... Talk. <laughs> I think we can figure this out. Um, but one, this. one last thing I want to say. Yeah, yeah, like, please. We talked about um, wine, like wineries only be able to make wine once a year. So we're all figuring out. But think about this. If you like your sommelier, whether they pick a wine you like or not, if you got a good mojo with them, mm. you should go back to see them. And don't let that turn you off because they're probably going to do a better job picking the next wine for you too. Same thing with a great retail store. Yep. Good. If you, yeah, yeah, and now yeah. Like, I mean, uh, yeah. Right, in New York, we got chambers, we got all these great stores, and once they get to know what you and you come back and you give them feedback, then it's like it's everything's a bank shot. Yeah. They've got you because then oh he likes this he like fine. I've I mean you can this. tell us also the same night if it's really bad because we're going to find something for you. But my point is it's always good to yeah. refine and get people to know who you are because everyone has their own taste. Yeah. Risto Zazowski has been my guest. He's been here a lot. He'll be back again. Um, the wife's Tia Keeney. She's got a great book coming out. Risto is the beverage director for Alta Morea. Super fun to have you out here. Thanks a lot. Give Thanks. Stereo Thanks, a big Mike. For me. I will. Tell your wife I said hello. I will. Give the kid a pizza or something to I'll eat. Bring, uh, I might bring him one home. Actually, i got to go to work after this, but <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Stay tuned. We're off for a couple of weeks. There's spring break, they tell me, which is good for me. So we have two weeks off. We'll be back in whatever two weeks after this is with more food talk. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be well. Drink more wine. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Yeah.